talk this morning about godly hospitality. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 13. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can find it on your Bible app, Hebrews 13, 1 to 3. And we know hospitality is really a biblical command and it's meant to bring the love of God into the reality of our day-to-day lives. It's especially meant for those who are far from God. Godly hospitality is meant especially for those who are far from God and those who are most vulnerable. And so for us today, the question we have is, what is godly hospitality and how do we invite invite others into this hospitality? Hebrews 13, 1 to 3, it says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. How do you and I live as followers of Jesus in what seems like an increasingly hostile world? Have you thought about that before? Have you seen that? around you? Have you felt that dissonance in your heart between your attempt to follow Jesus and the world around you? And what practices really set us apart from everybody else? You know, if we go back one chapter from Hebrews 13 to Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about running the race. And how do we run that race well? And when we look back through history, we see the church taking on various responses to this dilemma of how do we live for Jesus in a hostile world? Because I'll tell you, when you look at church history, there were hostile times. And how do they deal with that? What was their perspective? Sometimes the church has retreated from society. The answer to a hostile world has been, let's get out of it. And we've seen this sometimes in ascetic practices, the monastic movement, convents, groups, people who have retreated from the world and attempt to preserve a particular culture or a sense of purity, however that would be defined. Sometimes we see the church responding to hostility through apologetics, through defending the faith and, and, and proving certain aspects and, and, and going to logic to kind of sort that out. And we know that the world attempts to reform the body of Christ into its image. And Hebrews reminds us that God's call on our lives is to live and to work and to play and to relate in his image, in his attitudes and through his power. And so while the world tries to imprint upon its own people, division and blame and suspicion, God calls us to something different. God calls us to redeeming acts of transformation, actual on-the-ground decisions that invite people to live a different way. And over and over, Jesus shows us that there's a new way to live. There's a new way to be a human being. And it not only juxtaposes us with the rest of the world, but it challenges a lot of commonly held assumptions that we have about the world around us and about the right way of doing things. You know, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes what are commonly held assumptions and he turns them on their head. You know, Jesus says, you've thought a certain way about this. You've acted a certain way to solve a problem, but it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. And we're challenged to listen to Jesus as he says in Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, I give you a new way. 
And in Hebrews 13, that redeeming act of transformation, a response for the community of God in the world to what's becoming a hostile environment is what? It's hospitality. And, and, you know, again, God takes something, he, he takes something we would normally say, okay, things are getting bad, what should we do? Let's get away, let's retreat, let's self-protect. And Hebrews says, no, it's the opposite. It's openness. It's love. It's godly hospitality. And what is that? Well, first, godly hospitality is creating a family. Hebrews 13.1 says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The early believers practiced something called fictive kinship. Fictive kinship, it's an anthropological term that basically means they treated each other like family, even though they weren't family. They weren't related by blood. And over and over, the writer of, the Hebrew, of Hebrews says that your fellow believers are like your siblings. You can look in Hebrews 1.1 or Hebrews 2.11 or Hebrews 8, or Hebrews 10.19, or Hebrews 13.22, over and over. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are, your fam- are the family of God. And the word for love here is the Greek word Philadelphia, which means a strong brotherly love, a partnership, a friendship. And there's this encouragement for us to keep loving each other in this way. There's an intentionality to it. Continue in the way of friendship. But there's also a caution here that it's possible to stop partnering with our brothers and sisters in this way. If we're exhorted to continue, then that means it must be possible to stop, right? It must be possible to let it go. And we can move away from God's intention for our relationships and we can resort to other ways of treating each other. Suspicion, jealousy, anger, a lack of grace with each other. And part of staying on the right path as believers is remembering that God instituted the church as a family. And the less we operate in community together, the less we represent God's image and intention for the church in the world. Now, being a family doesn't mean that you like everyone or agree with everyone. I mean, just think of your own family for a moment. Think of the last family reunion you went to or the big family dinner the big Christmas dinner, or whatever it was. Think about your extended family. Do you like everyone in your extended family? Have you ever had a disagreement with someone in your extended family? Of course. Are they still your family? Yes, they are. You know, loving your family means that any disagreement you have is less important than the value of sacrificing for one another, of standing up for each other, of helping each other in time of need. It's saying, look, maybe I disagree with someone, but they're my brother and sister in Christ, and my relationship with them is more valuable than my disagreement. Yes, we have disagreements, but what we have here is worth fighting for. When you look, look to your left for a minute, look to your left, all right, look to your right, Those people that you see, and maybe you're looking at an empty aisle, but look across the aisle. Those people that you see, those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're not always going to see eye to eye, but there's something more at stake than always agreeing with each other on every point. There's something more valuable worth fighting for, and that's loving each other as a family of God, because that's God's intention for us. Timothy Adkins Jones writes that following a savior in Hebrews here has been defined throughout this book by the sacrifice 
that he represents for us all. We're called then to join in the sacrifice of our own position for what? In order to build relationships. Our relationships with each other, they're more important than our own position. Our relationships are more important than our individual opinions. And Jesus said that the world will know that we belong to him because of our opinions. No, he didn't say that. Jesus said, the world's going to know that you belong to me if you win the argument. <laughs> no, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, the world will know that you belong to me if you love one another. You know, one time there was a pastor who was prepared to preach a message on the text, love one another. And he had this outline and he was going to explain, you know, the different Greek words for love and, and encourage the congregation to love one another. And the worship team was playing... And as the worship team was playing, the pastor felt that he should not preach the message. And so the worship leader finished the last song. The pastor goes to the platform and he says, Brothers and sisters, uh, my text this morning is love one another. And then he goes back to his seat and he sits down. And the congregation, they're silent. You know, they're unsure what's going on. This is unusual. He gets up a second time. He goes to the pulpit. He says, Brothers and sisters, my text this morning is love one another. And then he went and sat down. And then a third time the pastor walks up. He says, my text this morning is love one another. And he goes back to his seat. And while sitting in the congregation, someone turned to the person next to them and said, is there anything I can do for you? Is there a way that I can love you? And someone else began to talk. And before long, the whole church was alive with people talking to one another. That Sunday morning, the church had 28 unemployed people. And each one of them went home with a job. There were some single parents, some people living in absolute poverty present. Each one of their needs were met. The pastor commented that he could have preached the message on love and have people leave his church commenting, thank you, pastor, that was a good message. I enjoyed distinguishing between those Greek words. But there would still be 28 unemployed people who would have gone home unemployed. So the next Sunday, the pastor goes to the pulpit. It's time for the message. And he says, brothers and sisters, my text this morning is the same as last week. Love one another. He went to, sat down, to sit down and, and people stood up this time. They said, who can I help today? And for three months, the pastor was guided by the spirit to give the same message. Love one another. In a very short time, the church was transformed. Grew to over 1,000 attendees. Have we come to, the, to grips with the message the pastor brought? We can listen to this true story and marvel at the work of God, yet an event like this, it shouldn't be uncommon. It should be what defines the church. How are we tangibly reaching the lost and the needy? Godly hospitality is creating a family. Hebrews encourages us to keep loving each other as brothers and sisters. God's created something new, a new people, the body of Christ, the family of God. That's who we are. But you know, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we forget what God's called us to, that we have a higher calling on our lives. Sometimes we treat each other as strangers or as enemies or as competitors. But how can we practically love one another as the family of God and create a family? Secondly, godly hospitality is love of the strange. Love of the strange. Hebrews 13, 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So we're encouraged to make a practical offering of help to others outside the church. There's an external dimension to the love of God. It doesn't just belong to us. 
Hospitality is an important part of following Jesus, and it's really a commandment. And at this time, so when, when, when these verses were being written in Hebrews, hotels, you know, safe places to stay, safe hotels were not common. Public houses, safe inns, they're not readily available. If they were found, they were not good places to stay. They were often places of immorality and disgrace. And so this call to show hospitality to strangers was a practical solution to an obvious problem. And, you know, a lot of times it's easy to make following Jesus more complex than it was intended to be. You know, we can easily create complex solutions for problems that don't really even exist. We can spend a lot of time trying to answer questions that no one's asking. But what if we as followers of Christ were known for creating practical solutions to obvious problems? What would that look like? You know, Pastor Tim was just talking about it during announcements, some of the things we've been able to do over the last few weeks. In this spirit, what if someone needs food? What should we do? Let's get them some food. And you know, over the past few weeks, we've had semi-truck loads of food um, from farmers to families parked out here in the parking lot, and, and uh, a number of you have come to volunteer Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings uh, to unload boxes and, and put them in the people's uh, trunks of their cars. Some have gathered a bunch of boxes and gone out themselves into the neighborhoods just to find willing people who, who need food. We've given away over 4,000 boxes of food so far, and we've got more coming this next week if you want to help out. It's a practical solution to an obvious problem. You know, another one was, we know our government workers have been stressed out this week, right? This year. They've been overloaded, they've been challenged like never before. They often get the brunt of angry, frustrated people. If you've ever been to the DMV, you know what that's like. We know there's no perfect system, right? But we also know that the people serving in these systems, they're real people. And they've got, they've got kids they're trying to take care of. They have sick parents. They're trying to get out of debt. They're trying to make a life. And so how can we help them? Well, last week we had a group, like Pastor Tim said, go to our city hall. They had colorful signs. And they lined up down the sidewalk. They weren't protesting. They weren't angry. They, weren't, they were there to say, I see you. You matter. We love you. And, and they were handing out gift bags they're saying thank you. And a lot of people were taken aback. You know, they, were, they had not seen something like this before. You know, I, what, what are the strings attached here? And, uh, you know, one woman broke down in tears. She said she had a tough morning already on her way to work. You know what that's like, right? You're on your way to church. You're on your way to work. Something happens. There's an argument, whatever. And you just get to where you're going and you're just exhausted already. And this person said, this is amazing. Another person said, I've worked here 20 years. I've never seen anything like this happen. And so, um, thank you guys for doing that. Because see, when you do that, you are Jesus in the community. You're creating a practical solution to an obvious problem. You know, a lot of times following Jesus doesn't mean um, convincing somebody else about some dense, complex theological footnote. You know, sometimes it just means coming alongside of somebody else and, and recognizing that, hey, life is often disappointing. But you're not alone. And Jesus makes all the difference. You know, a church I ministered two years ago, <clears throat> ministered with, they had a, a phrase they would use, a house of prayer for all nations. 
a place where strangers become friends and friends become family. And here at Lighthouse, we have a, a saying, spreading the light and warmth of Christ's love in our everyday lives. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield writes, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're not supposed to just focus on ourselves. And this love and support, it's not just an internal thing. It's not just for us. This hospitality, this welcoming nature, it's not only for those who belong to the body of Christ, but it's for those who are strangers, those who are different from us or unknown. You know, in Luke 6, verse 32, uh, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, big deal. What good is it if we just love those people who agree with us or who, who we're already comfortable with or, or who it's easy for us to be around? What credit is that? What transformation is that? <laughs> Even sinners do that. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? you know, that's what Jesus said. The Greek word for hospitality is Philozenia, which literally means love of the strange. Not just the stranger, love of the strange. Don't forget to show love of the strange. You know, just like we do now, people at this time in Hebrews, they had their own routines. They had their comfortable lives and things that they enjoyed doing. You know, a lot of people at this time wouldn't travel far from home. They didn't know as much about the wider world around them as we do now. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, be open to new things, to learning, be curious. You know, Bre Brene Brown talks about the dangers of being a knower. <laughs> you know, the knowers are those that feel like they already have a firm grasp of everything. They have an answer for everything, and there's nothing new to learn. Uh, just like uh, the character Cliff Clavin on the uh, very edifying show Cheers. Remember him? <laughs> Remember Cliff? Well, Cliff, you know, he would sit at the end of the, the table and he would, he would have an answer for everything. Or, or even if somebody didn't, didn't want an answer, he would, he would have it. He, he, and he'd love correcting people. And, and, and so Brene says, you know, don't be a knower. Be, be eternally curious. Be constantly learning because there's something essentially humble about authentic hospitality. There's an essential openness be invitational for us to be open to others, to be curious, because when we're curious, we truly have an opportunity to see somebody else. We truly have an opportunity to hear somebody else and to know somebody else. And it breaks down our assumptions. And believe me, you know, you and I, we have a lot of assumptions. A lot of assumptions about the world around us, a lot of assumptions about other people. And a lot of times these assumptions are inaccurate. And they're not helpful. So if, if, if there's a way we can assess this and learn and say, you know what? I see you. I want to hear what you have to say. I may agree. I may not agree. But I see you and you matter. And tell me your story. Assumptions make it difficult for us. We all carry them. I want to watch a short video here with you that kind of exemplifies this, this perspective. When we come in contact with something different or someone different, what do we carry into that conversation? Let's watch this together. 
So yeah, you know, as we move towards hospitality, it's, it's good to be aware of our own assumptions and, and to be open to changing some of these assumptions. You know, it's the only way that we're really going to be able to see someone, to hear someone, to know someone. Uh, Brian Whitfield writes that the writer reminds us in here in Hebrews that when we're hospitable, we too receive gifts. Like when you're being hospitable, when you're go being godly, um, when you're offering godly hospitality, it's not just you're giving something away, but you're receiving something. And that's something that we miss a lot of times, that perspective that hospitality is a gift. And we receive gifts here, he says, because we may entertain angels without knowing it. And perhaps the writer was thinking about Abraham in Genesis 18 or Gideon in, in Judges 6 where um, they had these experiences of entertaining people and then they realized after the fact that they were angels. And uh, for all these characters, hospitality led to new stories of good news, new possibilities, new life, new avenues of service. And when you show hospitality to strangers, to those unknown to you, God's going to open up new doors of opportunity for you as well. You know, he's going to unlock gifts inside of you that maybe you didn't even know you had. You might make a personal connection or a business connection you never would have otherwise if you didn't open yourself up that way. You might learn something new. You might discover something new about yourself and a new way to serve or to connect with others. But we're also to entertain strangers because we were once strangers. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. And so we got to remember, you know, you and I, we, we were sojourners too. We were strangers and we know this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so how are we able to respond to others in that same spirit? Do we exhibit true godly hospitality? Do we have a love of the strange, a love of those beyond us, a love of those outside our circle, a love of those different from us or unknown to us? Do we have that same openness to others that God has shown to you and me? That in the place of our greatest rebellion, our greatest rejection of God, that's when God made his greatest sacrifice for you and for me. And how can we live that way in our own lives? The last point this morning, godly hospitality is suffering with. Suffering with, Hebrews 13.3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, this could be referring to Christians who had been imprisoned for their faith. There were certainly a number of them at this point in Scripture. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't forget those who are suffering. Don't just sympathize, but empathize. You know, a good way to distinguish between the two is, is sympathy is feeling for someone. Empathy is feeling with someone. And Hebrews says, let our remembrance of the suffering go beyond that to being present with them in their pain. And sometimes it's impossible to make it better. Sometimes it's impossible to solve the problem. But we can remind them that they're not alone. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be a family to those in crisis. We're not simply to watch others suffer. We're to suffer with others. We're to identify with each other, just like Jesus identifies with us. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus did, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And the call really goes beyond those in prison to those who are bound in any sense of the word. 
those enslaved or oppressed in various ways. This is the way of Christ. To not ignore those oppressed, but to identify with them. To suffer with them. Not to feel bad for them. Not sympathy, but empathy. To suffer with them and to engage in acts of transformation. You know, there are a lot of groups around the world that are setting the pace for suffering with others. One of them is the Voice of the Martyrs. A group started it in 1967 by Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. And Richard had spent 14 years in a Romanian prison under communism due to his faith in Christ. Now they work in 68 countries around the world. They advocate for suffering believers. They help millions of people. They remind them that they're not alone and they advocate for justice in different ways. Another example is uh, Venture. Uh, for whom we've done a lot of fundraisers through 30 for Freedom. And Venture works in, in the, the part of the world, the, the circle there on the slide, Southeast Asia, India. Um, over half the world's population lives there. Most of the unreached people live there in the world, but less than 1% of all Christian giving goes to this needy area. And so they focus their efforts on the marginalized communities in this target area to address systemic injustices, the refugee crisis, human trafficking, extreme poverty, oppression at different levels. They're working on a practical solution to an obvious problem. You know, God doesn't call you and I to feel bad for other people. He calls us to suffer with others to represent, to advocate for the transforming power of freedom in Christ. And as we close this morning, I wanna, I'll invite the worship team to, to begin to transition back up. And we've seen that hospitality, it's a biblical command meant to bring the love of God into the reality of our day-to-day -day lives. It's especially meant for those who are far from God and those who are most vulnerable in society. And what is godly hospitality and how do we invite others to it? Well, we've seen that godly hospitality is creating a family. It's remembering that the person on your right and on your left is your brother and sister in Christ. And the higher call of God upon us is to respond to each other with the grace of God as his family. When we agree, when we don't agree, we are still family. Godly hospitality is love of the strange. It's being open to new things, to learning things, to be continually surprised by life and by the things that God's going to show us. But being open to those who are far from us, who are different from us. And godly hospitality is suffering with. God doesn't call us to feel bad for people. He calls us to suffer with others. And so this morning as we close in prayer, um, we're also going to sing a song of declaration of, of welcoming the presence of the Lord, of inviting Him, of orienting ourselves towards Him in our lives, in our home, in our work, in our families. Because, you know, we can't give away what we don't have. And if we don't have that perspective of, of showing hospitality to God, of inviting His presence into our life space, how are we going to be able to do that for other people? And so we want to welcome God with praise. We want to ask him to show us how we can open up ourselves to other people.